Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good day, church. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter. We hope you'll keep those scriptures open before you as we worship together. And we look at a passage of scripture that I think has a word for us today. I had a whole set of series that we were going to walk through as a church family following Easter into our summer. But that was altered in February and March, like most of our lives have been. And just felt as I was looking through the word to say, what could we say? This letter written by Peter, the apostle, the disciple and follower of Jesus to a group of Christians who were under a lot of stress, duress, and even persecution. Now, I want to be really clear with you always I didn't want to pick a text and try to stretch it to fit our context, but I'm telling you, the letter that Peter wrote, this letter called 1 Peter at the end of your New Testament, is a letter that has a lot to say to us. I've entitled this series, Where Is Your Hope? But I don't want you to hear that question as an indictment, like I'm questioning whether you have hope. All of us have hope in something. I want our hope to be based on something that lasts. So we're going to ask and answer that question through this series. And we're going to be looking at the first chapter of this letter that Peter wrote. The tone that Peter writes in is very pastoral. What I mean by that is he is caring for them. One of the things I love about this letter is Peter doesn't make fun of the trials they're undergoing or the tribulations and persecution. He doesn't tell them to suck it up and move on. Peter shows a lot of compassion here. If you know anything about Peter, that's surprising, isn't it? Because in the Gospels, Peter was not the most compassionate one, at least from the history that we have. Peter is a straight shooter. He says what he thinks, and then he thinks about it later. You see, Peter was showing them a pastoral side that the grace of Jesus changed in him. Peter was one of the inner circle, as we know. He was close friends with Jesus. He spent a lot of time with Jesus. And in fact, it was that Peter had the farthest fall in his sin, publicly humiliated himself, disappointed himself, and left Jesus alone on his greatest night of turmoil. Yet Peter returns and Jesus restores him by grace. So much grace that when the church begins on the day of Pentecost, Peter is the spokesman. Peter's the one who preaches the first gospel presentation following the resurrection. Peter understands what grace is. And he offers it to people who are struggling and hurting. I'm sure all of us have had moments in the past few weeks that have not been pretty. They've been moments that we've even disappointed ourselves, become angry over something that really doesn't matter become sad, become worried, listen to the news and wonder, where is my hope? This is why we're going to be looking at this particular letter. Let's begin in verse 1. Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Normally, and when I'm teaching a letter like this, I have a tendency to want to skip through those first couple of verses because we know that these would have been written on scrolls, and so the author of a scroll would have written his name at the beginning and his audience at the beginning instead of having to unroll it to get to the end. That's all technical. I normally like to gloss through that quickly, but I want you to understand when Peter says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. That's what his audience needed. 
And I don't know about you, but that's what I want right now. More of God's grace and his absolute shalom. Peace in a time of turmoil. See, Peter doesn't address these people based on their ancestry, their moral background, or their social status. Peter writes to these folks because of their relationship with Jesus. He uses interesting words like elect, living hope, abundant mercy, incorruptible, undefiled inheritance, and the reoccurring word salvation. See, these are the last days. That's confusing to us because many of us live as if the last days are going to happen post-death in the heavens on a cloud playing a harp, right? No, that's not actually what last days mean. End times, frighten us, send us to Revelation. Try and decipher all that's going to take place as if there's a calendar of events. But last days and end times are actually talking about the now, but not yet. The kingdom of heaven is here. We are a part of it. It is where our hope resounds. But it's just begun. And it's going to get better and bigger and more powerful. And it's going to be find all of its completion in Jesus Christ. When he returns and reestablishes this new heaven and new earth. And the beauty of this, Peter is calling them to. Not on their status, but on his status. And this is where grace and peace are found in abundance. I read one place a a quote, and I can't tell you who I got it from because I was young and I didn't take good notes. I just wrote down cool things. This has been in my illustration folder for a long time. This is what it says. The world is a bridge. The wise man will pass over that bridge, but he will not build his house on it. Peter was writing to people, telling them, don't make your final residence this place. Live for the kingdom that's coming. And he builds this whole concept of hope, which is, I think, what we're all after. Where is your hope? Well, let's talk about where hope comes from. Let's talk about the future hope, because this is where Peter begins in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This end time, last days, this eschatology, the theologians call it, this study of the things that have started but have not found their complete yet. So, What is Peter talking about? In verse 3, he says, this this new birth has come to us through the mercy of God, that we have been made new, we have been made clean, we have been bought with the price of Jesus' blood, which we just celebrated. And we have been renewed in that blood to life. All this was made possible by the resurrection of our King, Jesus, our Messiah, our Lord. That's why I'm saying, where is your hope? Because Peter says, if our hope is not founded on who Jesus Christ is, not how good we are or how hard we try or how we're making changes under the duress we're under, our hope must be built completely on the resurrection hope we celebrated just last week. This cornerstone we just sang about. Peter uses that term saying that we are building on the work that Jesus began. It started now. It's not to be delayed. And it will be completed when Jesus returns. In verse 4, Peter moves from hope in a new birth to an inheritance. 
I know this is a ghastly thought, but to get our perspective, our new birth is not only for us, but we receive an inheritance. But please understand this. The only way you get an inheritance is when somebody dies. Jesus' death is not something we gloss over to get to the empty tomb. Jesus' death is what saved you and I from having to die the death we deserve. You see, the resurrection is not compensation for the life we give Jesus. The resurrection is the restoration of the life we ruined. It is bringing us newness with the promise of not only a newness, but a completeness in Jesus that is found through these last days in the work of Christ. I love verse five because Peter focuses on us or shows us rather that he shields us by his power through our faith. So what do we do when we're discouraged? What do we do when we're empty? What do we do when we're broken by our own sin and our own failure? We remember that by faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, our future hope is secure. We have been shielded by his power, not our own. God's promises are available through faith and faith only. But faith is not a profession we make at a moment in time when we want to be saved. Faith is the demonstration of that profession in everything we do and everywhere we go. It is already prepared. It has already been accomplished. Church, no matter what you're doing, I want you to hear these words. It is yet to be completely revealed, but we know enough to build our hope on what Jesus Christ has done and promises to complete. It's our future hope. But let's talk about our present hope because this is where most of us are living right now. Verses six through nine. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In this passage, this is where Peter says, I know you're going through trials. I know you're going through difficulties. And there are some that will hear my voice who are going through hardships, physical distress, pain. There are some caring for those who are going through the hardship of those, physical, those moments of physical duress, and you can't be with them. And we are praying for your strength and your encouragement. There are some people that are just merely inconvenienced. There are some people that are worried about what could take place, while there are others dealing with what has taken place. I don't want to make light of all of those, but Peter says that even in the midst of unanswered questions, concerns, and difficulties, our hope is untainted because it's not based on our capabilities. It's not based on our comfort. It's based on his character. That's the understatement of the century when Peter was writing this. Christians were being burned at the stake. They were being fed to the lions. They were being tortured. They were being imprisoned for having done nothing wrong. And just a few years after this letter would have been written, history records that Peter himself was killed because of his belief in Jesus Christ. The context of this letter is urgent. That's why I think it's so appropriate that we spend some time in it. Peter develops the present truth regarding the strength of salvation because of the resurrection. Think about it. 
because of who Jesus was, wouldn't you expect that they would have no weariness? They had no worries. There'd be no death. They would be protected. That their confidence and prosperity and, and comfort would be on the increase. That's what we would think from an earthly view. But with these last days in mind, knowing what has been promised to find completeness in, we sometimes base our hope on temporary. In fact, Peter only promises that we'll get the opposite of what we hope for. He says, our hope gives us the power. Think, think through this with me, church. Our hope gives us the power to rejoice when life is hard, to rejoice when we are hurt, to rejoice when we get sick, because we realize our story will not end with our current condition. It is only begun by the power of the resurrection of Jesus, our King. You see, without hope, the resurrection life is futile. To say that you're resurrected or that I'm resurrected, but not living in the hope of the resurrection is a fool's game. You see, without resurrection, suffering is devastating. But with resurrection, suffering is temporary. It's real. It hurts. It's hard. It scares us. But we hold on to a mind that looks to the future promises of our returning king. I know today we want him. I know today we want his return, but he in his perfect wisdom and his perfect will will return at the perfect time. And when he does, all of our suffering, all of our trials, all of our turmoils will simply seem temporary compared to what we receive. Trials often test our faith. And we will undergo these trials. They will challenge us. We will either pass or fail in our faith by how we deal with the suffering and trials that are around us. But I want you to notice something powerful that Peter talks about there in verse seven. If we hold on to our faith in him, it says that we will receive praise, glory, and honor. But I want to clarify something that I think is brilliant. It's the reason I want to teach this text is because if you think he's saying that the praise and glory and honor of Jesus will be ours, you've misunderstood. It actually indicates that it's the praise, glory, and honor from Jesus that we receive. It is that touch on the shoulder of that person in our life we so much want to see that we're trying, to see that we're efforting, to see that we're doing our very best. And that person reaches over and holds our hand or touches our shoulder or puts their hand on the back of our neck and our whole body reacts to that because the one we wanted to notice has. Peter says Jesus will reach forward and the value of our faith will be that the praise and glory and honor from the mouth of our savior will be ours. And in verse eight, he tells us that the object of our faith obviously is in Jesus himself. He even says that some that are receiving the letter that Peter wrote have never seen Jesus. They're like you and me, but they still experienced him. And Peter does not deny for a moment that not seeing Jesus eliminates us from faith. Who he is and how he responds to us and who we know him to be and the Holy Spirit's connection in each of our lives to draw us to him is powerful. And the goal of our faith, and I'm going to use tricky words here, is our continued salvation. It is being saved every day through our faith. And I'm not talking about what if you have a bad day. I'm not talking about whether or not you are his. That is proven. What I'm talking about is the joyful celebration in our present hope. The hope based on what he is going to do 
is also concrete in what he is currently doing. So it is our future and our present hope. And then the past can even bring us hope. Look with me at verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Verses 10 through 12 is complex because Peter stacks this beautiful presentation. What he's telling us is this. Long before the birth of Jesus, the Holy Spirit had convicted the prophets to speak of not only the glories of the coming Messiah, but the suffering of the coming Messiah. Read through the Old Testament prophets and you're going to see over and over, they allude to the coming Messiah who will pay a great price to show his glory. And Peter says that there were generations of people that had heard the promise of God and we were the ones who got to experience it. What a powerful moment that the sufferings and glories of Christ are not separate entities. They're actually one in the same. They complement one another. They work together. You see, the glories come after the suffering or they don't come at all. Think about that with me. The glory comes after the suffering, after the testing of our faith, the trials that we are enduring. Now, I want to be really clear. I could have said something tricky or cute like the rainbow always appears after the storm, but no, it's not true. I've been outdoors when a storm's been 30 miles away and I can see the rainbow. There's something powerful about the rainbow that appears after the storm hits me. And this is where our faith resides. And Peter wants us to know that the scriptures have been calling out that we would have a suffering king. And he would suffer, why? Because of our sin. He would suffer on the cross and he would die on our behalf so that we might have life. That he would trade his life for ours. And he would satisfy the justice against our sin with the love of our father in a perfect union. And the Holy Spirit revealed this centuries before he arrived. And they were told that this will not happen in your lifetime, but the benefit of it will be yours as well. Isaiah prophesied concerning the suffering of Jesus and the psalmist wrote about the glory that would come from that suffering. Here's an example in Psalm 16. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You will make known to me the path of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Many scholars say this and I agree that Psalm 16 is actually a promise to all of us, but it's a reflection on what Jesus would endure and the price he would pay to bring the suffering and the glories of God together in such a way that life can be found. And I even love this part and I don't know what to do with it, It says the angels long to see what we see, to experience what we experience. I think angels work outside of redemption. They they announce the presence of God, they announce the will of God, and they, they fight for us in spiritual battle. But they don't get to share the gospel message, the good news of who Jesus Christ is. We have that privilege. And Peter says to a group of people that are suffering and stumbling and working the best they can against all trials and temptations, 
He says, you still have a role in this kingdom that the prophets have been talking about for centuries. It's all come through in Jesus Christ himself. Peter never wants you and I to forget that salvation is not a one-day thing. Heaven is not a one-day thing. The return of Jesus is one day from now. Who knows? But the reality of his kingdom, his sovereign reign, who he is, what God is doing all around us is right now. It's what our hope is built on. Peter, who struggled with so many things, would often have an opportunity to preach to Jesus that he ran away from on the night of the crucifixion. And I'm always enamored by Acts chapter four, where Peter and John go into the temple and they heal a man by the power that Jesus gave them. They heal a man and then they're brought before the Sanhedrin. They're brought before the same men that in a period of roughly 50 or 60 days previously had convicted Jesus falsely and had him put to death. And they stood before those men instead of running away in fear. Peter's proclamation is... Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The message is living hope. Why do we need living hope? Let's wrap up this way. We need living hope because many of us have our hope built on things that have been stripped from us the last few weeks. Jobs, businesses, a sense of financial security, health, companionship. I'm not making fun of those. I don't want to mock those things, but I'm telling you, when God topples your idols over, it hurts. He's toppling a few of mine right now, things I didn't think I needed so much, but I desperately miss. What the suffering and temptations and trials we're facing right now is simply doing is it's causing us to find out what really is going to sustain when this world turns upside down. Jesus is the only thing that will last outside of this world. The only thing you and I can trust in. We need a living hope, not a dying hope, not a monetary hope, not a social hope. We need to put our trust in who he is. And even should we go through trials and temptations that are hard and even deadly, our hope is not based on what we receive in this moment. It's based on the promises of a God who will deliver even three days after death. How does hope operate in our life? It's an amazing picture of the Christian life in verse six. He says, in all of this, you rejoice greatly. Though now for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Our circumstances matter, but we know our circumstances never could save us. Job cried out and the Bible says, in all of this, Job sinned not. Jesus cried out in the garden and he cried out on the cross, yet he sinned not. I'm telling you that when you go to trials, God's compassion knows you are going through those. Give them to him. Don't hold them in. Tear yourself apart. With all the grief and suffering and pain and doubt and fear, release those to the Lord. Read your Psalms this week and you'll find out that the psalmist knew how to tell God what was going on. And they could answer their question. Where is your hope. Circumstances matter, but these circumstances won't matter forever. That's why our hope is in something bigger. Living hope allows us to understand both the joy in suffering and the glories that come on the other side of suffering. So we know why we need hope and we know how it operates in our life. 
but how do we get it? It goes back to a series we just completed, the with God life. Not the with God moments, but the with God life. Peter says we're born into a living hope. He says, these things have come on you so that your faith may be proved genuine. To experience the faithfulness of God is most performed when we suffer. Remember, where is God during our trials? He's at the end of ourself, at the end of our ability, the end of our power, the end of our strength. See, you're born again into a living hope through what? Through good deeds? To the result of a series of perfection over time? Or through the resurrection and death of Jesus? I hope you have your elements that we use to commemorate around the table of the Lord. Some bread and something to drink that signifies his body and blood as he's asked us to. You see, on that day that Jesus returns, he has given us this promise. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim my death until I return. So in these next few moments, we want to give you the opportunity to take the elements with living hope that no matter our circumstances, they do matter, but they don't matter for long. And on the other side of God's perfect will, Jesus will return and that living hope will be proven. And all the other things we put our hope in are going to fall away is worthless. And we're going to know that what we based our life on was worth it. Even the hard times, even the fear, even the moments of doubt. Cry out to your God. It's not a sin. Trust him. That's where our faith comes to life. So today, if you're a believer in Jesus, our encouragement is together in community. That's why we call it communion. Together in a group. Maybe if you're just alone by yourself, know that my family is joining you and you're with us and I'm with you. And take that bread and take that juice And remember, eat and drink in remembrance of the good news and the good character and the good promise keeping of Jesus, son of the living God, who died on the cross so that his blood might cleanse us of our sins. He walked out of the tomb that you and I might have a living hope in something greater than no matter what we face here today. We gather around his table by special invitation to remember him to eat and drink in memory of our King Jesus. When you have remembered this and had this moment around the table, there'll be some questions that will be posted on the screen. And we ask that you have a conversation with someone, just process through what we see today in these first 12 verses of 1 Peter. Remember, there is an eternity in our hope. And that eternity begins now. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.